Welcome to the In Defense of Ska podcast. There's a lot of like, okay, well, you like Ska named three bands that aren't the boss tones. I'm your host, Aaron Carnes, music journalist and author of the book In Defense of Ska. And I'm your co-host, Adam Davis, veteran Ska musician from the bands Omnigon and Link 8. On our show, we aim to push back on the mainstream's negative perception of Ska music. There are so many great untold stories throughout the history of Ska. The show features interviews with everyone from the Mighty Mighty Boss Tones to Fishbone, Fall Out Boy singer Patrick Stump, and the police drummer Stuart Copeland. Join us on In Defense of Ska from the Consequence Podcast Network. Consequence Podcast Network. Led Zeppelin's Zoso symbols are based on occult writings and Egyptian goddesses. The Rolling Stones' lips and tongue were created by an art student that the band had hired to design something based on a Hindu deity. Rush's logo may just seem like a scared naked guy, but to fans, it represents the Solar Federation trying to suppress creativity and the man trying to promote creativity and the arts. Jeff Ament drew up Pearl Jam's Stickman logo when he was super jazzed about being in such a kick-ass band. But still, how many Stickman t-shirts do you think you've seen in your life? Even if you're not a Pearl Jam fan, you've been to rock shows in the last 30 years, right? You've seen college students? You've been to the grocery store? Not every iconic image comes with the thought that it will become iconic later down the line. But the artwork of Jeff Ament in the time of Pearl Jam's first album, while made in the moment was made with the kind of skill and trained eye that made its longevity inevitable. In this episode of The Opus, we're talking about the art that came with the album and how after 30 years, it's still some of the most recognizable and well-loved in all of rock music. And it's mostly because of their bass player. For the Consequence Podcast Network and Sony Legacy, I'm Jill Hopkins, and this is The Opus. Let's get artsy. My original Stickman t-shirt is now sitting soundly in a square between an old Lookout Records t-shirt and one that has PJ Harvey on it and says, I'm one big queen. It's on a quilt that my husband's aunt made for us as a wedding present. It's really nice. It's a very thoughtful gift. I thought about getting a new one, though, the last time I was in Seattle. I was visiting the Pearl Jam exhibit at the Museum of Pop Culture, and the gift shop had a bunch of them. I mean, they had a bunch of new designs, too, and they were really cool looking. There was one that said Pearl Jam, Seattle, Washington. I was this close. But I just watched people pick up those Stickman shirts left and right. Not just folks my age who were looking to replace the tattered versions they've had since the 90s, but people in their early 20s were grabbing them for the first time. Parents of young kids were buying them for their children. There's still something about that design that jumps out from the racks all this time later. He's very intentionally not only about the music, but about, you know, how the band is being presented and the visual sort of, 
you know, uh, look and feel of the band as well. I mean, just something as iconic as like the stick man, you know, where it's like, you know, he probably doodled it in like two minutes, but that still, you know, probably you could only have one Pearl Jam poster or Pearl Jam t-shirt and just have that on it. And that still would, would suffice, you know, I mean, it's so iconic. That's Jacob McMurray. He's the curator for Seattle's Museum of Pop Culture. And while we didn't meet on the day I went to visit, he and I had a great talk about Jeff's artwork just a few weeks ago. Jeff Ament, the visual artist, has been around just as long as Jeff Ament, the bass player, has. And in an alternate universe, maybe he'd have been a visual artist full-time. He wanted to be an artist growing up. I mean, it's like that was part of his DNA for sure. I mean, it's, you know, it's clearly in his family since, you know, his younger brother Barry is, you know, is one half of the Ames Bros. You did so much work for Pearl Jam over the years. If you've ever been to a Pearl Jam show and you've tried to get one of those limited edition posters, those are the Ames Brothers. And when Jeff got to Seattle, he had a plan to start a graphic design company with his brother Barry when he arrived. Barry was going to be a dentist. But while he loved science, blood was kind of a deal breaker, which makes dentistry difficult, I imagine. Jeff handled the art direction for 10, but got busy with the business of writing songs and selling millions of albums. So Barry kept the dream of design alive with his friend Kobe Schultz, whom he'd met at the University of Montana. And starting in 1994, the Ames Brothers became the official visual hub for all things Pearl Jam. But those initial art projects that Jeff did, the artwork for Mother Love Bone and for Temple of the Dog, his work in the art department for the Cameron Crowe film singles, and the cover for 10, all made up just as much of the image of the band as their thrift store lumberjack anti-fashion. And his art and those clothes collided on the fold-out cover of 10. Jeff carved all those letters that spell out the name of the band in wood himself, by himself, with his hands. And it was full-sized. He could have just done miniature letters. I mean, technology wasn't so far back that they couldn't have made that happen. But he actually built five-foot-tall white letters and propped them up with wooden slats. And photographer Lance Mercer photographed the band against the whitewashed brick wall of the main floor of Galleria Potato Head, the art gallery where Pearl Jam used the basement of as a rehearsal space in their early days. Those letters and that brick wall were not wasted on that one photo shoot. They also turned up in some of the band's subsequent artwork. Jeff Ament and Stone Gossard are shown discussing the formation of the band in front of those letters in the 10 video press kit which is adorable, by the way. And a photo of Mike McCready on the main floor of Potato Head next to that brick wall and the letters J-A-M forms the label of the B-side of the 1992 Ten Club Christmas single. The photo on the cover and on the second inside page of the liner notes to 2004's Rearview Mirror Best Of album are also from the same shoot that produced the cover of Ten. And there's a photo of Jeff constructing those big-ass letters with a heavy-duty staple gun, spray adhesive, and paint. Jeff's a real hands-on guy. But according to him, the plan for the cover was that the background would be kind of a dark red, burgundy. 
and the group shot was supposed to be black and white. It didn't work out that way, as you know. But that pose, the one with all of the guys huddled up and reaching for the sky, that's wholesome. When the album was given the deluxe reissue treatment in 2009, Jeff said the original concept was about really being together as a group and entering into the world of music as a true band, a sort of all-for-one deal. That togetherness and unity was most surely needed by those five men with a whole host of turbulent band experiences in their rearview mirror. But it was also symbolic of the grassroots punk rock ethos the band had at the start of their careers together. This is Tom Erlewine, editor-in-chief of allmusic.com. The font and the, the cover that makes it feel like this is the work of people that are following their own passions and they have a, a distinct vision. And you can see that throughout the art direction, not just in Tenera, but like throughout their, when they get bigger people to, to do the art direction, there's still like a, a defined image to go with by some accounts a straightforward rock and roll band but looking at the margins really gives you the idea of the personality and one of the things on the margin is jeff Ammon's art direction at home showing pictures of mountaintops with him on top lemon yellow sun arms raising a Hi there, this is Jill Hopkins from The Opus. After you check out this latest episode of my show, be sure to check out some of the other great programs on Consequence Podcast Network, including Rootsland, an original story of two friends who take a musical and spiritual journey from the suburbs of Long Island to the streets of Kingston, Jamaica, or Standing BTS, a bi-weekly podcast covering all things BTS and ARMY. Oh, And then there's the What Podcast. It's a weekly podcast by two Bonnaroo veterans exploring and highlighting the live music scene. They're all fantastic. So head to consequence.net to listen to these podcasts and many great others. Can we talk about Jeff's hats for a minute? It won't take long. This is this is just a, a, a quick aside. I don't think you can talk about Jeff Ament in the early 90s in relation to his outward artistic expression and not talk about those hats. Now, I wasn't a rock musician in 1991, and I wasn't quite old enough to be going to clubs and shows. And I'm neither from Montana nor the Pacific Northwest. So please, if this is a thing that everyone was doing, correct me. But those hats were certainly something. Like, JK from Jamiroquai was probably like, dude, that's a lot of hats. The Pearl Jam exhibit at Mopop has an entire case devoted to the Chapeau de Mente. And they include the one that he wore in the Alive video, Stripey. The one from the Evenflow video, it's Stripey too, but different stripes. 
and the one from their MTV Unplugged performance. That one's fuzzy. And I don't think we ever got a real explanation from anyone about the hats, but I have a very flimsy theory. Hear me out. Guys get weird about their hair. The second it starts to not be as lush as it was when they were younger. Maybe Jeff started to worry about that and he decided to lit up. But as he got older and it just kind of plateaued, he didn't feel the need for hats anymore. If anyone has a better idea or if you're actually Jeff Amond, hit me up. In the meantime, let me just say that it sounds really awesome to just be able to walk into a store and buy any hat you want. Those of us with giant heads, we could never. Cameron Crowe's 1992 film about love in Seattle was called Singles. And it's a really fun movie. It's a really fun movie that I've probably watched more times than any other movie besides Steve Martin's The Jerk and Coming to America. And while the movie and its soundtrack are a great time capsule of early 90s Seattle music and fashion, Jeff Amen's art played a huge part of its enduring appeal. He was a part of the movie's art department, and his work can be seen in the interstitial stills between scenes, his handwriting marking the different chapters within the film. And as it turns out, he took his role as Jeff from Citizen Dick seriously, off screen as well. Well, as seriously as one can, while also goofing on it at the same time. Citizen Dick was the fictional rock band that Matt Dillon's character Cliff Poncier fronts while ably backed by Eddie Stone and Jeff from Pearl Jam. Cliff Poncier, in the course of the movie, loses his band, he loses his hot girlfriend, Janet Livermore, played by Bridget Fonda, and in the process, though, he grows as a person. There's one point in the movie where he's busking on the street as a solo artist and trying to sell copies of his demo tape. So Jeff, in his free time, designed the cassette cover and wrote out fictitious song names for the cassette like Seasons and Spoon Man. And one night, Cameron Crowe's wife, who, by the way, is Nancy frickin' Wilson from Heart, she went out to catch a show in town and bought a tape from a guy she'd met, and she brought it home. Turns out, it was the Cliff Poncier tape. It was Chris Cornell as Cliff Poncier recording all of these songs with lyrics, and he had recorded an entire fake solo cassette. Cameron Crowe had wanted Chris Cornell to play Cliff Poncier in the movie, but Chris was busy doing this this thing called being the front man of Soundgarden. Years and years went by until the Poncier cassette was real for the rest of us, though. And in 2017, on Record Store Day, we got to hold yet another example of Jeff's artwork in our hands. And this one is actually pink because it's supposed to be.
get back to the stick man. A doodle made for the fan club newsletter way back in 1991 became the international symbol for Pearl Jam. Why? It's crazy that the like little things wind up gaining in importance over the years, like it, because there's something that connects it to the beginning and so, that sort of like hand carved homespun sort of feel that is that's humanizing really, and uh, and it, even if it shows up everywhere, it becomes that logo, that image that is associated with the band. Most of the enduring bands have something like. I bought my Stickman T-shirt in 1993 on my eighth grade class trip to Washington, D.C. I'm sorry to say, sorry guys, that I didn't buy it from the source. I was 14, I had a very limited spending budget on that trip, and there was a guy just selling them from one of those giant sticks with other bootleg band shirts, and that was just going to have to do. And I wore that shirt on my first day of high school, and probably about a dozen other kids did too, including this huge Greek kid in my homeroom. It was very awkward, but it was a talking point, and it led to a great friendship between me and that guy. And if you're listening, Big James, I hope you're enjoying this podcast. Brian Fallon from the Gaslight Anthem remembers his first Pearl Jam t-shirt, too. And, like me, there were maybe too many kids at his school who were already sporting the stick man. You know, I probably got it somewhere not cool, like Spencer's Gifts or Sam Goody or something like that. Like, cause I, I lived in like Nowhereville, USA. You know, I just had to go to the mall and like get it. Cause I know that all the kids at that time, I think it was in fifth grade or whatever, like they all had Pearl Jam shirts. And then like some of like the more like jockey kids started to have them. And I was like, all right, I can't get the, I can't get the one where they're like standing on the country. You know, like, I guess it was the Europe shirt. And I was like, I can't get the pearl, the gun, you know, the kid with the crayons. And I was like, I'm not going to get the stickness. What I get? And I, oh, I know what I got. I got the don't give up white shirt with the red circles, which now I have tattooed on my leg for, for a while. I've had it. But yeah, the don't give up. That's the shirt I had. If there is an indelible image you have in your head of early Pearl Jam that isn't of any of the guys shredding or of Jeremy speaking in class today, or of Eddie Vedder's perfect cheekbones. It's most likely a piece of art that was made by a man whose expression is as likely to come in the form of brush strokes as it is in bass lines. And if you get a chance to visit the exhibit at the Museum of Pop Culture, be sure to take your own picture with your four favorite friends in front of their pink wood carving of Pearl Jam's name. Preferably while one of you is wearing just a ridiculous hat. For the Consequence Podcast Network and Sony Legacy, I'm Jill Hopkins, and this has been The Opus. See you next time.
Consequence Podcast Network. Hey, it's Kyle Meredith, host of the Kyle Meredith with Podcast, presented by WFPK at WFPK.org and the Consequence Podcast Network. It's a series that puts the spotlight on iconic musicians and actors, inviting them to drop by and talk about their latest projects, whether it's albums, TV shows, films, or beyond. I'm going to say something I don't want to say. Here it goes. Without Spinal Tap, there is no Tenacious D. Whoa. <laughs> Man. We get great stories and the biggest scoops from people like Garbage's Shirley Manson, the 1975's Matty Healy, Jack Black and Kyle Gass of Tenacious D, Maya Hawk, Kiefer Sutherland, and everyone in between. New episodes arrive every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, so it's a great way to keep up with your favorite artists and discover some new ones. You can find Kyle Meredith with on the Consequence Podcast Network or wherever you get your podcasts.